Well, in our gospel text, a non-Israelite is portrayed in a very favorable manner. A non-Jew is, is portrayed in a very favorable manner. Whereas in our first reading and really in the Psalms, in the Psalm itself, the non-Israelites are not portrayed very favorably. They're, they're portrayed actually as a temptation. A temptation in relation to Israel for Israel to uh, corrupt itself or to compromise its integrity or to lose its fidelity to God. Uh, so it, there's a little bit of a rehabilitation, I guess, of the Gentiles going on in the Gospel. But really, though, there's a, there's a deeper thing going on in, in the Old Testament texts here. It's not really just this kind of blind uh, uh, bigotry or bias against uh, the non-chosen people. But what it is is the concern that God's word and God's will for those who he has called would remain um, pure. And that will that we see expressed very clearly in the Old Testament is also for the new as well. It remains true even for the, during the New Testament era as well. Whoever God calls, he just calls us now from amongst the nations, not just from amongst the Jewish people. Whoever God has called, he, he wills that they uh, remain faithful and steadfast to what he's given to them. Uh, and that's true also for that person. God wants that to be the case for that person, but also for their descendants as well. And that's the real concern here in the Old Testament. Solomon, we see, you know, we talked about how David had his, had his you know, uh, dozen wives or so, and that got him into trouble because he couldn't really pay attention to his kids. And then you got Absalom rising up against him, trying to overthrow him, so forth and so on, and how all these many wives were, were a real problem for David. What do you think about Solomon? Okay, Solomon upped the ante. David had maybe a dozen wives. How many wives does Solomon have? It's proverbial at this point. He had like 700 wives, something like that, 300 or 400 um, concubines, which were in, a, in essence a kind of wife, uh, but that had less of a legal status. So we're talking about a thousand wives. All right, obviously, that's a serious problem. Okay. What the Bible focuses on, though, is the fact that these wives were foreigners and they worshipped. Uh, the, the problem with that is that they were pagans and they worshipped other gods, they worshipped false gods. And uh, as many men find out when they marry, you want to try to keep your wife happy, and so you cooperate with her, otherwise she makes your life difficult. And so here's Solomon trying to keep all his many wives happy, and to do that he worships their gods, and it's a, it's a real problem. It's amazing how much the Bible focuses on the problem of mixed marriages, it's an amazing emphasis all throughout the Bible. I, almost probably every book of the Bible, uh, it, especially in the Old Testament, focuses on the problem of mixed marriages. Genesis is really big on this. Uh, you've got the, the, right in Genesis chapter 6, right off the bat, you've got this competition between these two lineages, and it talks about how there's a really bad outcome from the, the resulting from the marriage of the, the, the daughters, the, the sons of God and the daughters of men. And when uh, Abraham wants to find a, a wife for Isaac, he's really adamant that the wife not be taken from amongst the pagans that are surrounding him, but that his servant would travel very, very far and, and acquire someone who's near of kin, who worships the, the true God. 
And uh, I mean, it's just, it's endless. Book of Numbers is a huge issue of uh, the Israelites intermarrying and them, and that intermarriage leading to idolatry. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And even in the New Testament, uh, it's not talked about a lot, but St. Paul does say in Romans, says that if a, if a woman's husband dies, she's free to remarry. But then he adds the little addendum, but only in the Lord, meaning that she should marry also a, another baptized a member of the church. Um, and so mixed marriage is, is it's a real issue. Uh, and what's at stake is not, you know, God despises people who are not Christians. It's not the, that's not the case. It's just that God desires his people to be faithful. And whenever you enter into such a close union with someone, there's always going to be some bit of temptation to compromise and to kind of let go of your values. And then also, of course, transmitting them to, the, to your children is going to be more difficult if you're, if you're married to a non, uh, non-Christian, especially to, or uh, non-Catholic as well. Um, I read something in a, in a book, a kind of a marriage and family counseling book. This is a year ago or so. It was, it was pretty handy. And they basically they did a statistical analysis of what factors make a successful marriage and what, what causes the breakdown of, of marriages and families. And uh, the authors of this book, they were under the, they were of the opinion that basically what happens is when two people get together in our contemporary American society, they often are attracted to each other on the basis of factors that are a little bit more superficial. They're good factors, you know, um, uh, compatibility of personality. Um, uh, they have the same interests in terms of like hobbies and things like that. Uh, they maybe can communicate with each other at ease and they, and they are attracted sexually to each other, which of course is a necessary and good thing. Um, but then it, it basically it stays right there. But there's these deeper factors that make for a successful marriage and they're not noticed at first. And so what happens is after the knot is tied, they start to realize, wait a second, these deeper factors are really the ones that, that are going to determine whether this ship is going to head in the right direction. And that has to do with things like uh, family of origins issues that you don't notice right off the bat when you get into a relationship with, with someone. How does he treat his mother? How does she treat her um, father? Okay, that's going to tell you a lot about how they're going to eventually, in the long run, treat you as a spouse after all the chemistry has worn off and, and, the, and the tough job of living together for life and raising kids together sets in. Um, and then also uh, shared values of a deeper moral and religious uh, nature are of paramount importance. Sometimes kids, when they're young, especially if they're teenagers especially, but definitely even in their 20s, they still maybe are in the process of developing their values and their morals and their religious convictions. And before those kinds of values and, and religious convictions are solidified, they enter into a relationship and they, they couldn't see ahead of time, like, wait a second, I'm headed in this whole direction. I'm, I'm going to be coming into a place in life where I really value this set of morals and this religion, and this other person's maybe not. And then after you're married, you start to realize, wait a second, this is a real problem. We don't, we don't share the same uh, religious and moral values. Um, so it's a it's a real problem. Mixed marriages are, are a big issue in the Bible, and the church has always kind of addressed this and made it a value. But now, in defense of the young, how difficult is it? Think about this, my brothers and sisters. How difficult would it be for a young person who, say, was 26 years old and who went to church here at St. John's, just hypothetically speaking? We don't have many of them, <laughs> right? But say that you were there, 
Okay, say you're a man, say you're a woman. Say you wanted to marry. Good luck, right? Who who are you going to marry? I mean, it's that's really difficult. It's you've got a really really hard task. Who how are you going to find a good Catholic spouse? The young, if you want to be a faithful Catholic today, you've got it really hard. You, if you want to marry, where are you going to get your spouse? I mean, we don't. The parishes are full of older people who are already married, and. There, there really isn't a lot of available spouses that are going to make for a really good marriage. So the young have a very, very difficult uh, challenge. That's why actually the Internet uh, can be of help in this case. Nowadays they do, you know, like online dating, which is can be bad, but it can be good if they, what it does is it draws together people of like interests and shared religion and values and background. So that can be helpful. And I've known a number of marriages that have been, that have started through a relationship that was started through online relationships and they turn out pretty well actually so um, can we just now pray let's say a prayer right now for our young people really this is a real problem put ourselves in the shoes of a young person faithful Catholic who wants to marry another faithful Catholic think about how difficult that is let's just let's do it take a moment right now and just pray for them Lord we know how much you value marriage and we know how much you value the transmission of your gospel from generation to generation and we know how difficult of a situation many young people face today and we pray for your guidance and your help for all of them we pray that your loving kindness and your will uh, for them for their spouses and for their children would be accomplished give them wisdom give them prudence help them so that they don't lose hope wherever they might be all throughout our country all throughout the world young, faithful Catholic people. We pray for this morning. Amen.